Hello, and welcome back to 1A, a podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina. 1A is designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. Reverend Squires is the pastor of counseling here at First Presbyterian Church, and I'm Josh Fleming, the pastoral intern for discipleship. In today's episode, we discuss chapter 4 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, and we'll be considering how the doctrine of creation speaks to the issues and problems of life. If you have any comments or questions about our show, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can email us at 1a at firstpreszcolumbia.org. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and to those around you. Let's get to the conversation. Welcome back to 1A. We are again continuing to counsel through the confession. And today I think we are doing chapter four and everyone is here. I'm joined by Josh Fleming. Josh, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Mark Capper. Thank you, Mark, for being here. Thank you, guys. Happy to be here. And Josh Adair. Josh, thank you for being here. Uh, always good to be here, Josh. Okay, so Fleming, why don't you catch us up as to where we've been and where we're going today? Absolutely. We're working our way through the Westminster Confession of Faith. We've looked at chapters one through three. If you've missed any of those episodes, listeners, feel free to go back and give those a listen. But we're on, I believe, episode nine, by my count. And So when we say we've gone through three chapters... Three chapters does not equal three episodes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We're working our way through very a fairly del- deliberate pace. Deliberate yeah. pace is how I like to describe <laughs> what we're doing. And I'm not sure if deliberate is the most honest word there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a deliberately chosen word. I can tell you that. That's right. Maybe deliberately chatting. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So today, again, I think episode nine on chapter four of creation I think what we're going to find here, guys, as we get into this is the foundation is very important. It's like that when you're building a building and uh, as they divines looked back at creation, I think they've identified some very important things for us. This is a, a shorter chapter. There's only two sections in this chapter, but they're, I think we'll see, yeah, they're foundational for how we think about the scriptures, about the world, about our own lives. Mm. So I'd like to just read section one here. So this is uh, section one of chapter four. It pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness in the beginning to create or make of nothing the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. Amen. So there we have it. Section one. What do you guys think? What, what do we see here counseling issue-wise that we could discuss? Okay, there are a couple things here that I think we should probably pick up on. One is that they want to make sure it is clear that the same format for creation and sovereignty as is reflected in Scripture itself. Scripture starts with what one of my professors used to call the most imper- important four words in all of literature, mm. in the beginning, God. Mm. Like if you get those four words correct in your life and in your theology, it will help guide everything else that you do. Wow. In other words, we are not independent beings. Mm. We're not those that are able to create ex nihilo. We can't just do something as we want to do. We, we can't be autonomous 
Instead, it was God who created, and therefore he is the one with the most power, and we are dependent upon him. Mm. So even though a short little section, right, I think incredibly important for setting up the fact that we are dependent creatures Mm. upon a sovereign God. And that really gets to the heart of a lot of counseling issues, to be honest. Sure, Mm. sure. Is that we want Mm. to be in control. There's part of us that's actually really, really glad we're not in control. (laughs) (laughs) I was listening to a sermon recently by RTS CEO and Chancellor Ligon Duncan, good friend, And he recently had to bury his dog, or dogs, I think, got sick and they weren't able to save them. And one of the things that he pointed out was that he was glad in that moment that he wasn't sovereign. Mm. Because if he was, he would have to make the decision how and when his dogs were to die. Mm. That would be terrible. Mm. Can you imagine deciding, like, this is how this person that I love Ooh. This is th- these are all the tragedies that I'm going to make them go through because suffering and tragedy is how people often get closer to the Lord. Mm. Right? This is how they're going to end and all of that. That is that is an incredible crystal clear truism from from Ligon in that moment. It's like wow that that is absolutely true. He That's is an sovereign. Aspect I've ne- would never have considered. I don't think either. Mm. He's in control. Mm. And and. It's good that he's in control. Yeah. Yeah. And so much of what we fight in scripture is recognizing that he's in control and he's always good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and this just affirms that those two realities are true. That's good. So, so the second thing that I just wanted to mention quickly. So it, it says made of nothing again, just that he is a creator. He doesn't need our help. He, he doesn't need anything to create. He can choose to create. And so when we go to him in prayer, when we read in his word, we're not going to just somebody who can help like us. We're not going to someone who's just stronger than us. We're going to the infinitely resourced, able to make out of nothing person. Mm. So there's no hopeless case yeah. with God. Yeah. Because he doesn't have to prepare. He doesn't have to do. So people will come in the counseling room sometime. And they have a spouse or they have a child who is going through something difficult. I think often, especially when someone is exhibiting some sort of addictive behavior Mm -hmm. and they can be addicted to sex, they can be addicted to drugs, they can be addicted to alcohol or gambling. And it feels so hopeless Mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. There's no way that my spouse or my son or my daughter is going to get over this because I've seen them make promises and they don't ever keep them. And I've seen them throw away so many elements of their life. And it seems to just keep coming back and coming back. And so what I often do is I walk them through the process. Humanly speaking, this is what it looks like. Mm. Oftentimes it takes this sort of process and we never know if it's going to be the last time that they deal with this issue or substance or whatever. But, but non-humanly speaking, I know a God who can radically change their hearts in a moment, Mm. should he choose to. Now, he may not. He may be using this as the thorn in the flesh for them or for you or for a child or something that ultimately leads those whom God loves to himself. Mm. But he has the ability out of nothing with no preparation just to choose to eliminate this from their life. Mm. And you need to know that and go to him 
as one who has that much power and control. Right. Yeah. Just be assured of it. Right? Because in any of our, that's so counterintuitive for us in any of our inter- interactions with others, with whether we're asking for help or we're needing something from someone, we're always dependent. I mean, they are limited. Yeah. They that's don't right. have infinite resources. They don't have infinite time or power. And yeah. yet we come to God and all things are in his hands. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and you know, something that they hit on here that I think is a nuance that people can lose about God and thinking about him sometimes is that he made the world very good, which says something about who God is, that God is good. And now, Maybe we've lost some of this in our broader cultural conversations around God, maybe somewhat because of uh, skepticism people have, especially maybe around the problem of evil. Like, well, if God is all good and all powerful, then evil shouldn't exist, but evil does exist. So God can't be both all good and all powerful. And, you know, that's kind of a over explanation of, of that. But I think that what, what people can lose is the fact that God is good we mm. we think about god's justice and we think like well how would a how would a god like that uh, be so cruel to punish his son on the cross and punish us in hell i don't want that kind of a god and it's like no 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 you don't understand god is that way because he is good mm. god is more loving than you are god is more <laughs> patient Amen. than you are Amen. god is more merciful yeah. than you are um the lord is slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and and actually it's it's his justice i think that comforts us especially when we do encounter great evil mm. in this world is that that person that entity whatever it is that is performing that evil presuming it does not repent, they they do not repent, they are going to receive the right justice. And, and then, mercifully, for those of us, because we're all guilty, we're all wicked in our heart of hearts, mm. that we will not receive that justice if we repent and turn to the Lord and seek uh, His mercy um, given to us because of Jesus Christ, His Son. Mm. Yep. And, and I think that's absolutely right. Mark, and just hitting on, you and I don't know what it is to live in a creation that's all good. Right. Mm. Right. Again, they're just making an, the divines here just make an affirmation of what is true and presented in Genesis for us. But we have no idea what it would be like to live in a creation that is not subjected to the fall, mm. where death mm. isn't all around us and, and sin doesn't have rain around here. Right? Yeah. But that's not a result of God. God didn't didn't choose that, mm. right? In in the going back to His preceptive will, mm. right, versus His decretive will, He may have decreed it, but by precept, that wasn't that wasn't His design for creation. We did that, mm. right? And again, mm-hmm. we'll we'll talk about this when we get to chapter six about of the fall and sin. We. Everything that we struggle with in counseling, we brought in. Yeah. We did. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't be the victim of somebody else's sin. I'm not yes. saying that. Right, right. But what I'm saying is that humans are responsible for every aspect of the world in which it's not good. Mm. Okay, any other thoughts on section one? I just think 
it's a helpful reminder, uh, this section at the beginning, for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness. Yeah. There's a purpose here. There's a there's a, a telos. There's an end in mind. Yeah. God is displaying his glory, yeah. his strength, his wisdom and goodness. It, mm-hmm. And we get to behold that in creation, now marred mm-hmm. by the fall, but in his redemptive acts, we see him making all things new. Yeah. And we'll, you know, one day behold that and greater. And it's just, yeah, thinking of creation as just this display, yeah. a, a theater of God's glory, mm. I think is an incredible and helpful reminder. There is one thing in here I just want to touch on just quickly. I'm not going to answer the question of what does in the space of six days mean. There are tomes out there as to what exactly (laughs) in the space of six days means. You could do some light light reading on that for sure. We won't be able to settle that question in our time today? Uh, Probably not. Um, We can each say (laughs) what we believe about it, but I don't even know that that's super helpful for our listeners. But what I do want to say... What I do want to say is is that there is a pattern that God, no matter the length, no matter if it's a, a, a pattern only or if it's a technical 24-hour space, whatever it is, there's something here that God is volitionally, decisionally doing mm. for his people. Mm. Why would he create in six days? Does he need to? Can't he, by divine fiat, make everything instantly? Yes. Why does he rest on the seventh day? Mm-hmm. Is he physically exhausted? Is he emotionally exhausted? Does he need to be restored in some way in his power? Mm. No. no. <laughs> he is doing this by way of pattern mm. to show something. He is choosing to limit the way in which he creates in order to present to his creature something about the way they need to live. Mm. Wow. That's fantastic. Right, yeah. and so I just want to I just want to touch yeah. they're, again. They're just all they're doing is affirming what Scripture says, but the affirmation of that Scripture, God condescends even at the level of creation. Right, mm. right, because He loves His creature that much. Wow, that's great. Yeah, well, I was actually gonna uh, I was I was actually gonna offer a thought too of just the comfort that's found in that because it also has a a writing effect on even our sufferings for us to we typically have been prone to look at our sufferings and read meaning into God's character about it. When really what this is saying is that actually even creation itself, the way that God made it with the purpose that he made behind it, even if there's something in creation that makes us suffer, uh, that makes us experience the not very good, our, our reaction to that should also be, how can we expect God to reveal his glory and even this? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, it's comforting and challenging because it, it causes us to approach our issues that cause us great questions very differently. Um, mm, yeah. but it also, it also reminds us that even, even in the aspects of creation that aren't very good, they're just drawn away from his ultimate purpose, which is the revelation of his power, which is the goodness. Mm. And since not even that can stop, not even that suffering can stop the revelation of those things, it should change the way that we think about them. Mm, that's so. good. It's like it's a much more God centered look at even the things that happen in our life. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we can easily get carried away with that into the lens of like, oh, well, you should be looking for God's glory even despite this hardship. <laughs> and that's not what this is saying. This is right. just saying that ultimately, what will win the day mm, is yeah. 
God will reveal his glory and manifest it in a, in a way that he condescends to even articulate in ways that we can't yet understand how we can look forward to what he's doing, even in the darkest moments of our lives. That's good. Okay, let's move to section two. So section one kind of covered God's creation of all things. Section two here is going to look at creation of of man in particular. I'll read this section and let's discuss. I think this has got some really good stuff for us as well. After God had made all other creatures, he created man, male and female, with reasonable and immortal souls, endued with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness after his own image having the law of God written in their hearts and power to fulfill it, and yet under a possibility of transgressing, being left to the liberty of their own will, which was subject unto change. Besides this law written in their hearts, they received a command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which, while they kept, they were happy in their communion with God and had dominion over the creatures. Hmm. There's a lot there. There is a lot there. Okay. So I want to I want to just do a 45,000 foot there overview, not even our normal 30,000 <laughs> foot right. overview. To, a little higher. That's yeah. right. To drop a pin and 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 then move on to some of these other pieces and that is when they say he created man male and female. Now what the divines are doing there is they are just clarifying when they, when they use the language he created man, they're not just talking about Men. Man, yeah. yeah, that somehow women have some sort of subspecies that aren't created in the image of God. Right, they too have the image bearerness as a part of them. Mm. They are not fighting the transgender fight for mm. us in this moment. <laughs> <laughs> right, it would be so anachronistic yeah, to so say, foreign to them. Yeah, yeah, to say that they're fighting this fight, and at the same time, they are making an affirmation that speaks directly into. Yep. what transgender advocates are trying to say. Yep. And so we can affirm as they affirm the truth that there are binary genders, there are only two genders, and they're meant to complement one another. Now, the moment you begin to jump into this topic, which is why we're staying at 45,000 feet, <laughs> 45, not even 30,000 yeah. feet. <laughs> That's right. Once you, be- there. once you begin to jump into this topic, it just unspools and yep. keeps going and going and going. There are so many pieces here that we could talk about from a counseling perspective and that I've talked about in other formats. If listeners want to hear us talk about this issue maybe a little bit more, reach out to us. Yeah, Let us know, know yeah. right, and and we'll put it in the hopper, in the queue for maybe later episodes. So I just wanted to start there by by way of saying we're not we're not moving in, in a sense we don't we want to recognize it but we don't want to dwell on it because right, i don't think right. that's the purpose of the confession to and that's a great that reminder i mean i know we're trying to move past this but that is just a great reminder of god's word and its truth and not fading away it's forever you know they can make a statement in their context they had no clue the discussions that would be happening today mm. And their statement addressed maybe, you know, what, how they were thinking, and it still addresses things today that are going on because yeah. God's word is true, and it's always true. And because God's word is relevant. Yeah. They're and just relevant, quoting yeah. and scripture, relevant, yeah. and good. because scripture is always relevant to all yeah. of life because there's nothing new under the sun, yeah. of mm. course it's going to find unique and new ways to apply mm. to our current cultural moment. That's great. So what do we see here in this chapter uh, beyond that, m- moving beyond? What, what, do we, what do we think? Well, I think sitting at the center of this particular chapter is made in the image of God. Yes. Is the Imago Dei. Yeah. 
So I think we need to talk about the Imago Day. Yeah. Mm. What is the Imago Day? What, what do we even mean when we say Imago Day? And people kind of under, uh, assume that there's a standard answer for what we mean by Imago Day. When the truth is, is that throughout time there hasn't been a standard answer, or, or there's been a, it's been a complex response. Let's mm. put it that way. So three different notes are often hit mm. when we talk about Imago Day, and depending on where you are in church history, one of those notes might be the primary note in that chord. Okay, so it's the one that you're going to hear the most, right? But all three are almost always in and around present in some form. That's know. right. Okay, mm. so let's talk about the three notes that make up this chord that is the Imago Day, and the first one is functional. Okay. So by functional, what we mean is that man was made to have dominion, reign, or rule. So you'll see that even in the Westminster Confession right there at the end of that section. Mm -hmm. They were happy and had dominion over all things. Right. So uh, this really comes out of the study of what it is that images were meant to do in the ancient Near East. What is it that you were you were doing when you set up an image of yourself in some particular town? If a king put up a statue, an image of himself in that town, what did it do? Well, it showed his reign. Right. It showed I rule over this place. Mm. And so by giving the image bearerness of himself to his people and then placing them on the earth where they go they were supposed to represent through dominion something of his reign gotcha and That's point good. back to him mm. as a statue would have done so it may have been the first way in which an ancient near eastern a hebrew is they read this two thousand years ago three thousand years ago right when they saw something like that, might have been the very first thing that popped into their mind, though you and I aren't used to that. Right, mm. right, right, right. We don't walk around in towns or cities anymore. In fact, statues are being torn down right now. Right, Nobody yeah. wants statues of anything. But mm. we don't tend to walk around in which statues represent power, right. represent dominion. Mm. So it's more foreign to us yeah. to think through those lenses. The second is relationship. Okay, and so people like Bonhoeffer, Burkauer, and Bart, the bees, are big on this particular emphasis, though, again, it's almost always there. It wasn't nearly as forward. It wasn't nearly as prevalent in the chord until recently. I would say 19th century and beyond okay. is when it really started to become the prevalent a note in the chord of image barrenness. And that is that God has relationship in himself. Mm -hmm. He is Trinity. So right. he's always right. had a perfect relationship. And so the way in which we bear the mark of God is that we are made to be in relationship with one another and with him, mm -hmm. that we are not complete on our own and that therefore we need to understand what it is to have intimacy and to be connected and intimately connected, helping one another out and knowing what it is to love and be loved. Yeah. Mm. Okay. There's a tremendous amount of counseling applications there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the third element is substantive. And this is the one that has probably reigned most from Augustine forward and would have been the one that would have been probably the, highlight or, or the note most forward in the Westminster itself. When you hear them say things 
uh, like endued with knowledge, righteousness, true holiness. Mm. Augustine would have given four attributes that uh, would be substantive in nature, and that would be intellect, memory, will, and love. Mm, right yeah. now, love you could you could again sneak back into that relationship category right, right. as it's gotten more and more focus. Mm. But but again, here that what Augustine is telling people is is that by being made in him his image, you have certain attributes. You have certain things that no no one else or no thing else in creation has. Mm. And so it might be things like communication. It might be things like memory and intellect, the ability to reason and to logic, the ability to have willpower over your desires so that you're not being driven like an animal by your appetites all the time. Mm. Those are the things that probably would have been the dominant note for the Westminster Confession uh, divines and for Augustine and anyone in the mid- medieval period, p- primarily. Though they're always going to be representatives of all three of those at any particular time. Mm. Now, there's again, there's there's counseling applications all over the place. Right, even, each of those categories. Yeah, sure. in each yeah. of those categories. But as you take take them cumulatively, right? So, which one do you want to emphasize? It probably depends on the situation and what you're talking about. But if you take them cumulatively, it at least tells us a couple things. One, that you are unique as a human. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's no other creature like you, not even the heavenly host. Mm -hmm. He doesn't put his image in the angels. He puts his image in man. So if you want to talk about where your value comes from, so often we want our value to come from our work. Mm. But what we do for a living or all the accomplishments or yeah. any of that. Our that, skills, our knowledge, our yeah. degrees, you know, how much money we have, all yep. these things. Yep. What, yeah. Where you have power, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. All of that, that's, that's where we want to get our value. But mm. instead, our value is almost exclusively in the fact that we are made in the image of God and then it is augmented by his people in the fact that we were redeemed mm-hmm. in Christ. Okay, now that second part is important because what it also means, it means uniqueness and value for us, but it means respect for everyone. Right. So I just got done preaching on the Good Samaritan. And Jesus, this is a parable. It's not It's not a historic reality. It's a parable. And so with parables, you've always got to be asking the question, why is Jesus making the selections that he's making? Why did he make the selection to make the hero a Samaritan, the most despised group by the Hebrews? And one of the things that he's trying to emphasize is that there are no subspecies of humans. That's mm. good. There are no people that just deserve our hatred, mm. but all deserve the sort of love and respect that image bearerness grants them. Right. There's a dignity inherent in being human. That's exactly right. So there's an internal aspect. This is where I get my value and my security. There's an external component. This is how I treat everybody and why I treat them with dignity. Even if they're my enemies, even if they're persecuting me, I still treat them with dignity and respect because they're image bearers. Wow. That's good. I think C.S. Lewis really hits on this well. Uh, At the end of Prince Caspian, uh, Caspian is learning about his heritage and uh, Aslan asks him if he understands some of the, the wicked people in his heritage. And Caspian says, I do indeed, sir. I was wishing that I came of a more honorable lineage. And here's what Aslan says. He says, you come of the Lord Adam 
and the Lady Eve. And that is both honor enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. Mm. Be content. I think that's such a, a, a wonderful uh, capturing of this truth that as human beings, we do have this great dignity and worth simply because we are God's image bearers. Uh, and yet also uh, because of our sin, we, for, for those who are prideful in that dignity, mm. uh, there is a great humbling in recognizing yep. that, mm. uh, no, you also are among the greatest rebels mm. who, oh, who, yeah. who, who yeah. need redemption yeah. and, uh, and salvation. Yeah. So. yeah. One last point, just that he wrote this law on their hearts. This is a universal thing. So there are those who deny the law, obviously, yeah. right? But there's actually a universal ground. Mm where we can say, A, all actually know that there is a God. Right. Though they may work as hard as they can to deny it. Yeah. All know that there is a universal moral law. Yeah. Hmm. Which we see expressed most clearly in the Ten Commandments, Mm -hmm. but which the whole of Scripture really is about. And that we can have confidence that as we go and we talk to somebody, and we want to talk to them on moral grounds about what is right and what is wrong, Again, if you want to go back to the transgender discussion or if you want to talk about something as inherent as lying or killing or adultery or whatever, we know in them, though they may mask it, they know the truth of the deplorableness of sin and what is sin and what is not sin. Yeah. Hmm. Right. That That is written into their very DNA mm. at wow. the spiritual level. That's good. That's that sort of Romans 1 and 2. But it gives us, it arms us with knowledge about the unbelievers who we interact with or, or anyone we interact with, like, no, mm. I, you may not live in light of it, yeah. but actually you do know. That's right. Mm. And, yeah. and as we live that out, A, it, they won't like it because it's convicting and, and people tend right. to not like convicting. That's right. Yeah. But B, it's a winsome witness. Mm. Yeah. I am actually living out what you know in your heart to be reality. Yeah. yeah. Right? And the harder you fight against me, the harder I know you're fighting against your own heart. Brother or sister... There's a place where you can stop that fight. Yeah, that's a tough way to live when you're out of sync. Yep, with with reality, with your your mind, your heart. I mean, that will just it'll weigh on you. It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let me show you where you've got rest, brother Amen. or sister. That's good. Amen. All right. Well, I think we are done with chapter four. Congratulations, boys. We made it through one chapter. I can't believe it. Okay, so next time we get together, we'll be in chapter 5, which go. is of God's providence. Many sections in chapter 5 and many which require time to kind of go through. So I have a feeling... That'll be a, a longer stop. We've got more episodes <laughs> in this particular chapter. Right. Can't wait. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. We look forward to talking about it next time and invite you to join us back. If you have any questions, any concerns, feel free to contact us. You can contact us at 1A at firstprescolumbia.org. That's 1A at firstprescolumbia.org. Would love to answer any questions that you have. Mm. Until next time, God bless. <laughs>